passage today. You can open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles at our Aloha table. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take a Bible and keep it. It is our gift from us to you as we get into Revelation chapter 1. As we launch this new series that we've themed and called Victory. Victory. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Now maybe for some of us, right, we've been kind of exposed to this book. And I find, you know, when, when, when I've engaged with, with this book, when I've talked to others about this book, we can kind of fall into different categories. I think one of the categories is we, we, can, we can get obsessed with the book of Revelation, right? We can get obsessed with trying to figure out, you know, future dates, future people, future events, trying to decipher the hidden meetings as to see, like, does this apply to our future? And we can become obsessed with, okay, I'm going to read this book just to crack the code, to figure out what is going to happen in the future, and is it applying to our day? And there could be an, almost an unhealthy obsession to it, where we could read Revelation and try to make it say something that it's not. You know, when um, I was in college and that was when uh, 9-11 hit, uh, 2021, uh, 2001. Um, I remember distinctly, right, when the uh, United States was, right, when, we were, uh, when we were attacked and the Twin Towers fell. I remember I was watching a popular preacher on television, and he said, and he was teaching from Revelation, right, and 9-11 just happened, and he said, well, you know, the Twin Towers that is the fall of Babylon in Revelation. Because in, in, in Revelation, right, this, this, this great city Babylon is involved in all kind of trades and the nations are benefiting from it. And so look, this is Babylon. Babylon has fallen. Now that is not the correct interpretation of the reading of Revelation. But that's what a lot of people try to do is they'll read Revelation and say, oh, oh this is talking about this person this world leader, this event that, that, that just happened. And I think part of it is a, a good thing. It, it's a desire to want to apply revelation to our lives. But it gets unhealthy and biblical when we force this book to say something that it's not saying. Right? We have to remember that revelation was written to first century Christians going through intense persecution. And they need to be reminded that God is the victorious one. Yes, it's also meant for us, but the original audience was to the first century church. So for, for some, when they think about Revelation, they can get obsessed over dates and events and people. Other people read Revelation and maybe not get obsessed with it, but instead uh, they get really um, scared of it, but they don't even want to read Revelation, right? Because they read about dragons angelic battles, they read about uh, fire falling down from heaven, cataclysmic events, You're like, I don't even want to get there, right? It sounds like a scene out of the Lord of the Rings, right? Or it sounds like some sort of Marvel movie, right? Just these wild events and images that are happening in Revelation. So some people say, I don't even want to touch the book. It's so scary. But Revelation wasn't given to us to scare us. It wasn't given to us to obsess us. But it also wasn't given to confuse us. Some other people, right? Some of us sometimes, we don't even want to read Revelation because it just seems so confusing. There's so many images that were like, ah, this is just so like, so above me, 
Give me something that's more literal. Give me a letter from Paul that's easier to read uh, because I just don't get it. And so some, some people just avoid revelation out of being confused. But God didn't give us revelation to confuse us. So why did God give us revelation? Well, we're going to read about this in the first chapter. So let's get right into it in Revelation chapter 1. It reads, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whatever he saw, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep it, what is written in it, because the time is near. The book of Revelation was given to bless us. Verse 3, right? Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep it. In fact, John's going to say, say that, that we are blessed seven times. In this, in this letter, in this book, seven times, because he wants it to be clear, right, that there is blessing for God's people. And that blessing was, 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 was uh, made available because Jesus has won the victory, which is a major theme of the book of Revelation. In fact, the word victory in the Greek is mentioned more times in the book of Revelation than all of the, the rest of the New Testament books combined. Right, so John wants to make it so clear right, that Jesus has won the battle over sin, over Satan, and over death. This book right, is called Revelation, and, and, and the Greek word for revelation is where we get the word apocalypse. It's the word apocalypse. So when we hear the word apocalypse nowadays, right, what we think is normally like the end of the world, zombie apocalypse, right? But that's not what apocalypse means. Apocalypse means revelation, to unveil something that was hidden. That's what revelation means, to unveil. Apocalypse, to reveal something that was at one time hidden. This message right, was, was, was given to John by Jesus. Right, this revelation was, well, is about Jesus, verse 1, but it's also given by Jesus to the angel given to John. This John is probably, right, the same John of the Gospel of John and who wrote the three letters of John. And this was probably given during the reign of Domitian, the emperor. Maybe around 80 to 90 AD, which is when Domitian reigned. Now, why, why do we even say that? Well, because a guy named Irenaeus, an old church father, said, right, that Polycarp, Right, who, who, who knew in, in, uh, Ignatius, Polycarp said that John wrote it, the disciple. Now, why does this matter? Well, Polycarp was John's disciple. So Ignatius knew Polycarp, who knew John. And so Ignatius said that Polycarp said, dude, John wrote it. So we're going to go with that. Uh, not a big deal to argue over the date. Some, some think this was written earlier in the 60s or in the 70s AD. But it was probably written, if we're going on, uh, um, I'm sorry, Irenaeus's. Uh, testimony that it was written in the 80s and 90s AD, which was during the reign of the emperor Domitian. Revelation was given to bless us, to hear these words and to 
obey his words. Let's read verse 4. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. John loves the number seven. We're going to see that. Right, seven blessings. We already see seven churches. Now, something that I want to mention real quickly, and we're going to get a, a, a little bit study study here, but it's important to, as we read this book, right, is revelation in the Bible, right, the genre of literature of revelation, one of its genres is its apocalyptic literature. Right? It's prophetic, speaking, speaking God's word into the future, but it's also apocalyptic. Why is that important? Apocalyptic literature, like the book of Daniel, uses images, symbols, and signs to communicate a reality. To communicate a reality. And so there's going to be a lot of metaphors and pictures, which means not everything is to be taken literally, and yet at the same time it's totally true. It's absolutely true. Even though it may not be taken literally. So we're going to read about Jesus having a sword coming out of his mouth. Is that literal? Is he literally having a sword in his right? So apocalyptic literature helps us to interpret Revelation because we need to ask ourselves, is John being literal or is John being figurative in order to communicate a point? So here, John, I'm going to be exploring this, right? He uses the, the number seven a lot, right? And that number seven, as you read even throughout the scriptures, right, it, it communicates an idea of completion, of completion, you know, like seven days in a week. So when John says here, let's look in verse 4 and 5, let's understand this, right, in apocalyptic literature, when he says, right, to the seven churches in Asia, yeah, there were seven little churches we're going to read about. But we can also look at this as the complete church of God. This letter is written to all of his churches, as we're going to see. So it's, it's relevant to us. Now, who's, who, who is the blessing from? It's from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. John is specifically speaking about God the Father. And then it says, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, who is that? Is it seven literal spirits? No, this is the Holy Spirit. And we, in the Old Testament, it uses the same terminology, speaking of God's Spirit. So God the Father, the one who is and who is to come. God the Spirit. And then God the Son, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. So here we see at the very beginning of chapter 1, right, we have the Trinity, that our God is three persons, one God. And here's what John seems to be making clear, is that God is in control. He is in control of the victory that he has over sin, Satan, and death. How do we see this? Well, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is the faithful witness. He always says what is true. If Jesus' word says that he has conquered sin, Satan, and death, we can believe that. He is the firstborn from the dead. What that means is he has authority over death. And not only that, he is the first of many to come who will rise 
from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, rose again. He is the first of many. And we have put our faith in Christ. We will join him. When we die, we too will be raised. And he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Right? There is no doubt that God has victory over evil. Some view the universe as like a yin-yang. Right? There's good and evil and they're battling against each other. You don't know who's going to win. But the Bible teaches that God is in complete sovereignty and control over all things. He is the victorious one, and he is sovereign even over the kings of the earth. Think about the people that, that John was writing to during this time. Emperor Domitian was, was persecuting Christians and putting them to death. And what they needed to hear was, guess who is in control over Domitian? The wild ruler of Rome. It's God. Who is the ruler over King Jong-un of North Korea? God. God rules over every leader on the earth, every dictator, every tyrant. God is sovereign over them. None of them can, can, can uh, take out God's plan. And that should encourage us. Let's look at verse, the second part of verse 5. And then it says this, right? To him who loves us, right? Jesus loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Right? Some people think that Jesus won, will win the victory, right? When he returns to the earth and defeats all evil. And yeah, that, that is just the icing on the cake. That's Jesus just wrapping things up. But Jesus actually won the victory over sin, Satan, and death for us at the cross. John says here that he right, set us free from our sins by his blood as he died on the cross. That's where the victory has been won. And that's good news. Jesus already accomplished it on our behalf. And then let's look at verse 7. Look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. In verse 7, here's what we see, right? Jesus will return, and every eye will see him. What does that mean, right? Is we know that, that the victory has been won by Jesus. We know that he has conquered sin, Satan, and death. But when he returns, every single person will know. Every eye will see. It will be unmistakable to all creation that every single individual, that Jesus is the victorious one, that he is the king. And they will mourn. Right? Why will they mourn? Well, in, this context, in this context, they'll mourn because they've rejected Jesus. Right? And will face the consequences of rebelling against God. Jesus' victory 
right? It's done, and everybody will see it. So how do we live then in light of this? I want us to think about four different ways, as we read through Revelation 1, 1 through 8, four different ways that we can live in response to the verses that we just read. Here's the first. It's to, to eagerly read through Revelation. Eagerly read through Revelation. So as we jump into this series, to be eager. Why? Because John said that we're blessed if we hear it and if we respond to it. Back in verse 3. Right? Again, Revelation is not meant to scare us, to confuse us, or to cause us to get into obsession over it. It was given to us to bless us, to encourage us, to give us hope that God has defeated all, of, all evil and we have to look forward to Jesus' return. Right, so let's read through this book expectantly, eagerly, right, to receive the blessings that come with reading and responding. Second, as we, as, as we read these verses, right, to, to receive Jesus' love for us. Receive his love for us. Verse 5, right, if we are not feeling the love of God right now or we're doubting the love of God, just read verse 5, the second part. To him who loves us actively, right, present tense. He loved us. He died on the cross. He loves us even right now. I want to encourage us, right, to not define God's love based upon our circumstances, but to view God's love in the context of the cross. Because there are times in our lives that we'll hit hard times and we'll think that God doesn't love us because the circumstances is, is just tough, just really tough to deal with. Maybe for some of us, Right? Some of us, we're dealing with difficult relationships right, right now, and we don't feel God's love towards us. Maybe we're dealing with health issues or the health troubles of a loved one, and it just feels like God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't see the hurts of our loved one who's sick or for our own health battles, and it feels like God doesn't love us. Maybe we're struggling financially. We're worried about our job security. And it just seems like the bills get higher and higher. And, and we're just wondering, okay, does God even love me? Because this is really hard. I'm just trying to pay rent and live paycheck by paycheck. I don't know, does God really see me? And does God really love me? And we can look at our circumstances and say, okay, God must not love me right now because stuff is hard, life is hard. And maybe I'm not serving God the way that I should. But no, right? He does love us. And whenever we question God's love, don't look at our circumstance. Look at the cross. That's what John is saying here. To him who loved us and set us free by his blood. Revelation is about the cross of Christ and how Jesus demonstrated his love for us on it. So receive his love. Number three, trust him. Trust him. We can trust that God is in control. Back in verse 8, Jesus says, right, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and Omega is the letters, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. The book of Revelation was written in Greek. Right? Jesus is the beginning, and Jesus is the end. The Father and the Spirit is the beginning, and they are the end. Right? God is the one who is, who was, and who is to come, meaning he always was God in the, in the past, he always is God, and he always will be God Almighty. Right? Almighty is all-powerful sovereign. God was sovereign and in control in the past, present, 
and future. In other words, we can trust him. He is just as in control in the past as he is right now. Right now. So then maybe we have events in our lives that just feel crazy. Maybe we're experiencing anxiety and fear. Maybe, you know, just world events. We're looking at the events that are happening in our world, in our country, and we're getting really anxious. Maybe we're looking at the events in it, even in our own lives, just drama at work, uncertainty in our family relationships, just feeling like things are just changing all the time, and, and, and we feel like life is just out of control. What do we do? We look to God, who is sovereign in the past, Sovereign in the future, and he's sovereign right now. He is in control, so we can trust him. Trust him in those circumstances. Lastly, worship Jesus. Our response, worship Jesus. In verse 5, after John is talking about the cross, verse 6, he says that he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Right? We now serve God as his priests. We're all priests. If we're in God's family. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. John, as he's thinking about the cross, as he's thinking about, wow, God has made us priests to serve him. He then busts out in praise. As he says, glory, dominion to him. As John is writing Revelation, he cannot help but burst into worship to Jesus. Same for us. I would encourage us as we launch into this book, as we read the Revelation, let it lead us to treasure and to worship Jesus. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that through song in a little while. Opportunity to do that through taking communion. Where we can worship the God who was, who is, and who is to come. So I want to encourage us that we would do that. And one of the ways we do that is through taking communion. Taking communion. We have communion available on our, on our back table. Uh, and so during the time of singing, I want to encourage you to, to get up and to take a communion cup that has the, the, the wafer and, and the juice. And we, we take that remembering Christ's death for us, that the victory came at the cross. And so we take of the cracker representing his body, take of the juice representing his blood, and we celebrate the victory that God has given to us. And if you're at home, you can gather those, those elements. A right, second way that, that we worship God is through advancing the gospel through uh, the local church. And one way we do that is through financial giving. And so you can do that online on our website, or you can give at the, the offering box on the back table. So let's respond to what we just read in Revelation chapter 1 through song, uh, through, through taking communion. Uh, let me, let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for the cross. That in your great love for us, you sent your one and only son to die the death on the cross that we deserve for our sins, to rise again from the dead, to give us new life. Thank you that you have defeated sin, Satan, and death. The victory is over. And so now we can live life knowing that the victory is over and live life from this victory, that we no longer are slaves to sin, that by the power of the Spirit, we can say yes to righteousness. We're no longer slaves to fear of death or Satan, because we know that we have eternal life with you forever, and we respond now 
You're taking communion. We respond through song. So lead us, we pray, Lord Jesus. That's in your name we pray.